When I wrote my first book, having an online store was the furthest thing from my mind. Now I'm able to share my books, fun t-shirts, more, all in my online shop. And it's so easy, all because I use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. I love how Shopify works. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash for the love, all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash for the love now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash for the love. Let's talk lunchtime. Remember the good old days when we weren't afraid of sandwiches? The carb fear is real. You guys. Uh, so many of my friends are watching carbs, but it's tough. I mean, the best things in life have carbs, right? Hero Bread makes those same delicious favorites free of consequences or compromises. Their breads contain zero to one grams of net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and they're even high in fiber. That's not all. The taste and texture are spot on the soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying like a savory breakfast burrito or a mouth-watering cheeseburger. Hero Bread has it figured out. So don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. So go to hero.co and use code love at checkout. That's love at H-E-R-O dot C-O. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker, as we move forward in our transition series. We are going to be taking a closer look today at how women can learn to love their lives and live absolutely free, away from any expectations set for us by other people or systems. And today we have the privilege of hearing from author and counselor and therapist, Dr. Shafali. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. We're in a series right now called For the Love of Transitions. And I think maybe where to start before you start listening to this conversation with my guest today is asking a question of your own life. Am I sincerely living in a free way? Am I free in my soul, in my spirit, in my choices, in my relationships? Do my actions embody the hopes and dreams I have for myself? Do my actions embody my own personal sense of self-respect? Or is there a chance that you might be acting under kind of an assumed role? Are you a, a version of yourself, a character of yourself? Is something deeply true for you that you are not actually living out of because this part, the outward facing part is meant to be a certain way? right? There's an expectation, even your own, even your own, because this feels so acute to me. I think for so many of us, myself included, we have these visible and invisible roles that have been placed on our shoulders since we were really, really young. And we assimilated those so deeply that we're almost unaware of the ways in which we behave and respond and stay silent to keep those things intact, right? whatever that might look for you personally. Like maybe you 
went to college because that was expected of you. That was what your parents wanted. It's what your older siblings did. It was what your peers were doing, but it wasn't your true path. It wasn't, that was not your portal into adulthood, but you did it because you were supposed to, you know what I mean? I mean, we're going to get into it, but like relationally, how many of us are inside a broken relationship? It is not working. It is not functioning. There is, there is a lot of pain inside of it. And yet we are lying to ourselves about that or ignoring what signals our bodies are sending us because we want that relationship to be a certain thing. It's expected for that relationship to be a certain thing, whether it's your marriage, maybe it is the way in which you engage with one of your kids, that that is actually a broken thing, but moms are supposed to be a certain way with their kid. And then thus that's the forward facing thing. It could be inside your work that you are deeply unfulfilled, or I would say most of us are trapped somewhere inside that system that is very much steeped in patriarchy and very much steeped in oppression and being essentially asleep at the wheel. Oh gosh, this conversation today. Do you know when you hear somebody say really hard things that are true and you just feel like almost called out? Like, yeah, not only do I understand that, that's me. That's what I've been doing. That's what, that's where I was at. That's what I did. That's what I'm doing. And it's so hard to admit because I have a version of me and thus a version of my relationships that I prefer, right? The one that I want you to see, even the one that I want to be true. And so this conversation is really powerful. And I hope you'll stay till the very end because I have on a really fantastic teacher today. And we're lucky because today we get to hear from the one and the only Dr. Shafali. Dr. Shafali is a really special teacher. She's, well, she's a New York Times bestseller, of course. She's a world-renowned clinical psychologist who teaches women to transcend both their fears and their illusions. And we talk a lot about that today. The illusions is really to really break free of them. And then essentially rediscover who it is we really are, like how it is we actually flourish on this earth, the autonomy that we have over our own minds and souls and choices and relationships, being fully present, fully conscious and fulfilled in our day-to-day lives. And we're going to talk about what all that means. Listen, Dr. Shafali has been like applauded by Oprah and Alicia Keys and Eckhart Tolle. So like she's got receipts here. Okay. She lives what she teaches. She's inspiring. She's a role model to me. I look up to her and I'm learning from her. And I think you you will too. This one will get us. This one will get you. So buckle in and enjoy this really profound conversation with the Beautiful. Gosh, you've got to go watch this one on YouTube just so you can look at Dr. Shafali's pretty face and wise and wonderful Dr. Shafali. Okay, Dr. Shafali, I am really happy to see you. I am happy to meet you. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. Thank you. I've been hearing about you for years. So this is equally my honor. I just want to 
let everybody know that your book comes out today on this day that you and I are recording. And so a radical awakening has already created a lot of great buzz. This must feel exciting for you. It has to. Yes, it is exciting whenever you birth a new project out into the world. But, you know, I always have to train myself. That's what I've been doing the past few days is my whole book is about not placing your worth on approval and validation. And yet this is the whole setup for it. So I've been like, follow your book and and don't get into the, you know, the hamster wheel of wanting this approval from the outside world. But it's difficult. It is. It is. The system is set up to make us want to check our Amazon reviews. <laughs> it has to take real conscious effort to say, this is not what I'm shilling for. This is exactly. not what I'm and, for. And then in times like this, you begin to really see whether we are founded on worth or insecurity. So this for me today, because the book comes out today, is my test. And that's what I write about in the book. If we are not founded upon this deep bedrock of worth, then things like this, an Amazon review or two-star rating is going to throw you off your game into cataclysmic despair. You're so right. I already love everything you're saying, and I cannot wait to dig in to kind of the center point of a lot of your work right now. Before we get there, I've already told my listeners a little bit about who you are and your credentials and your arc. But I wonder if you would mind high leveling for us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do and how you got to where you are now that you've got the name doctor in front of your name and you are leading us into like such awakening. Well, I think, you know, ever since I was a girl growing up in India, I was very aware beyond my years that there was something wrong in the system I was growing up in. It was extremely and is extremely toxically patriarchal. And I felt that as a young girl, particularly because I looked different and was prey to a lot of unwanted sexual advances. And I knew young that it was systemically toxic. And there was a lot of perversion here that I needed to get the hell away from. And so by the age of 12, I knew my destiny wasn't in India. I had already grown out of my desire to belong there. And nothing against, I have the most beautiful parents. I just systemically was so oppressed that I needed to get away. So that curiosity, that awareness, that sensitivity led me to study psychology. It was the only obvious thing I could really study. But it also, at the age of 21, embarked me on deep meditation. So I began going for Vipassana meditation, which is silent retreats. And that, I have to say, more than any training as a psychologist has brought me to this place. So I wish we could say meditating, fascinating, you know, fascinator, Dr. Shafari, but that's really what is the core of my work is the fascination and the teachings from meditation. And people think meditation has to do with some sort of religious belief. And really it doesn't. It's just a practice of inner awareness and deconstructing our belief systems and our attachments. So I got trained in formal clinical psychology at Columbia University, began working with throes of people, women, especially children. And then when I became a mother, 
I put everything together. It coalesced. My studies in psychology helped me understand child development. My practice as a meditator really made me see how my ego was vomiting all over my child. And I was projecting all this unhealed baggage onto her. So that's when I began writing about conscious parenting. And I knew that systemically traditional parenting was toxic. And I wanted to turn that paradigm upside down. I didn't know I was going to set off a, a huge spark in the parenting field. The main goal of conscious parenting is to show people that traditional parenting is, needs to be on its head. It needs to be turned radically over. So then I did four books on parenting. And then my kid grew up. And then I got sick of children, really. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm not fascinated by you creatures anymore. You know, once they become the teenagers, they love you guys. Yes, yeah, yes, I'm on like, to I'm you. Big. Yeah, because when they become teenagers, they discard you. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, then I discard you, you know? <laughs> so you become a child and you tantrum back. No, I, I honestly had was done writing about parenting. There's only so much you can write after four books. So then I, in my mid-40s, you know, went through a huge transformation once my kid grew up. I think something happens to us in midlife. Once we've checked off all the boxes and still haven't found that thing called happiness or authenticity, then we realize, oops, we need to change. Something on the inside needs to change. So I went through a huge cataclysmic transformation that I call my radical awakening, which I've penned in this book. You know, my marriage uh, transformed, uh, it, I divorced, I had to let go of all my deeply adhered to beliefs about what it meant to be a good wife, a good mother, what it meant to be part of a different family system. I mean, that, that will shake anyone to their core, especially us women, because we so are the nurturers. It goes against our core. So having to deconstruct and reconstruct that was pivotal for me and freeing and so liberating. And I had to share that with the world. And so a radical awakening is a path for all women to follow if they wish to transform fear into courage, pain into power, and really reclaim their long lost authenticity. Mm. Ugh, I have a million questions. First of all, thank you for talking so transparently about your own life. That becomes an invitation for the rest of us that that draws me to you, that you are willing to talk about this in real time, in a real way. Thank you for doing that. I am have just gone through a divorce after 26 years of marriage. And I wonder if I can ask you a couple of questions because you just mentioned this. And I also, I mean, obviously I was born here into a patriarchal world as well. I came up even a secondary layer is that I kind of came up through religious systems, which were double down patriarchy. Women were subservient by law, <laughs> by by Bible, by divine ordination, by divine ordination, tis the order. And so I got married when I was 19. You know, that was actually not even a weird path inside my subculture, if you can imagine. And we have five kids. They're big. And they're also like, whatever, mom, you know, I understand exactly where you're at. And I wonder if you can talk for a moment about what you learned. You said that you really had to dismantle 
a lot of your ideas, even what you might be maybe thought were your beliefs, because those are hard to challenge when you think you really believe something around marriage, around that particular institution, around, around the way women are expected to relate to men inside that sort of relationship. Can you talk a little bit about what it is you discovered and how you discovered it? Yeah. Wow. So this may poke your listeners. That's fine. Okay. I, I like basically walk around without skin on right now. I'm, I'm constantly triggered. But so let's tell your, your you listeners to put worse. some pillows around them because yes. I, I can be a bit brutal, but I'm going to try to be very gentle. Okay. In order for us to break free, Jen, we have to understand we're living within a cultural matrix that capitalizes on fear, lack, and scarcity. Okay, if we don't understand that, we will robotically go through our lives wondering why are we always scared? Why are we always insecure? Because like you just said, the system is set up to induce, perpetuate, and ignite on a daily basis our fear, lack, and insecurity. We women need to put that on a plaque. Like the system is designed for you to feel crummy about yourself every single day. Now it does that in insidious, consistent, perpetual ways. Now it also does that to the men, but the men are in an advantage because, oh, well, it's a patriarchy. But the, but the system is toxic for them too. We are all severed from our heart. We're all severed from our authentic connection. Men even more so because the patriarchy favors them so they never even have to look within. We are so effed by the patriarchy, thank goodness, because we then go into our heart. We're desperate. We're desperate. The pain makes us, our monthly pain, you know, through menstruation, our bodies make us go into our heart, our childbirth, the lactation, the children needing us, children needing our nurturance, this, all of this strips us away from our grandiosity and takes us to our heart. Our men don't have these experiences, just the ones I, I said right now, biologically. So they are never really being challenged to go into their heart and then patriarchy favors them. So it takes a lot of trauma for a man to enter his heart. We, that's why women are the forerunners of the spiritual movement of this spiritual renaissance we're seeing today. We are the oppressed and the oppressed are the only ones who can change the system. We, the, the ones in advantage are never going to change the system. Why would Why they? Would they? <laughs> they don't even think there's a problem. So That's right. we women from young girls on have been taught that there's someone before us, typically a male, a brother, a father, and certainly if women growing up like you, a God, who typically is symbolized as a male too. So you're like, heck, where am I in all of this divinity, right? I must be only then sheep to follow. I must be only the little minion, the little puppet. And all of this is transmitted unconsciously, right? So subtly. In just seeing these images of men around, we begin to understand we're lesser than. Then we're told, cross our legs, be quiet, be demure, be kind, be obedient, be sweet, be modest, be dim, you know? And we learned our belief systems then come into play where we begin to believe that to be a good human being is to be quiet. To be a good human being is to follow and allow others to shine while you stay in the background. So we get attached that that's what virtue means. That's what holiness means. So we get all messed up in our head about 
who it is we're meant to be. And we have all these impositions onto us. Then we have institutions from utero. We have the education system, which is highly masculine. It's linear, it's great focus, it's success-based achievement competition. There's no feminine in the education system. In the religious, traditional religious institutions are highly patriarchal. And then parenthood, the way parenthood was pre-conscious parenting is hierarchical. You will do as I say. I have the right as a parent to discipline you how I like. And it's quite abusive, that hierarchical domination that occurs in parenting. And then we have marriage. Okay, so I just, that was the introduction. Mm-hmm. To the, yep, the yep it was a good runway. Sorry. I'm with you. Because I want to show... Because I'm not against marriage, I want to show that it's all a system of domination. You know, this patriarchy is not against men, it's against a system of domination. So why is marriage something that should be deconstructed before at least our children get into it? And I tell my daughter all the time, you can get married, but please understand what you're doing. You're taking your free emotion of love and you're institutionalizing it into two institutions, religion and the justice system. Just know that you are now giving your power away into a religious morality and to legal jurisprudence. And you do you want to do that? You know, think about it, because now you're being enslaved into two institutions that have the right to tell you how to live your life anyway. So marriage was only really in our imagination. It came into our imagination only around 5,000 years ago after the agricultural revolution was well into play. So as we began to take over property and own our land and till our land, with that came ownership of children and women. And then through that came the marital contract. Then religion got its claws into it and Agami became the high sanctimony and the high way of living. So all of this evolved in the recent blink of human evolution. We need to first understand that because somehow we think this is the way to be because this is the way it's always been. But all of these systems are heavily patriarchal for control, possession, and oppression, really, of women and children. So Modern marriage now has messed it up a little bit more because now it's decided that your soulmate is the one you need to marry. So now you're putting all this pressure on this other person to be with you for life, right? So the current marital model is based on longevity. And what I propose in A Radical Awakening is that that whole model of let's live forever needs to be severely dismantled because it sets us up for depression. Half of my and your depression, I can guarantee you, was not really because of the loss of the relationship, because obviously the relationship was breaking down anyway. It was the loss of the idea and the belief that we had that marriage is forever. And that, that model is toxic because we are evolving beings who have the right to change, right to change our minds and do it in a conscious way. The reason why divorce is so hurtful and traumatic is because we have not understood what marriage truly should be. The institution of marriage messes up the institution of divorce. If we enter the marriage with a growth model, 
understanding I'm totally messed up as a human being and hello, so are you. And we both are going to play out our emotional baggage together because that's really what we're going to do more than anything else. And you're going to look for mommy and daddy and, you know, your every sexual fantasy. And I'm going to look for my mom and dad. And we're going to play this out over and over. And then one day somebody's going to hit a wall unless we do our inner work. So if we don't make a commitment to enter this marriage, for it to be a union of two evolving souls, then sooner or later, the fantasy will come crashing down. You know, and typically I see it does take 20, 25 years. You know why? Because our fantasy is so strong that we hold on, damn it. We just hold on. And then we have children. So now they have to grow up. And so most marriages I see or the ones which really transform the players happen in midlife where the children have now grown up And now we question, who am I? And if we haven't worked on who am I in a way that allows us to grow together, it's very natural for us to part ways at this point, because now we've checked off everything and we're like, who am I? I still don't know who am I. And sadly, many people react to that confusion and bolt a marriage and then simply recreate those patterns over and over. I see many men typically doing that because they just think, okay, I'm done, but they don't realize that they co-created those dynamics. I'm so interested right now in elevating and celebrating good things. So community, I'd like to introduce you to Abel. If you're not familiar with Able, they are an ethical fashion brand that employs and empowers women as a solution to end poverty. Love. They're deeply devoted also to quality, both in the products they make and in the quality of life they aim to provide. So they invest in, train, and educate women so they can earn a living, break the cycle of poverty, and thrive. And would you believe it all started with scarves for them? In Ethiopia, they met women coming out of the commercial sex industry who asked for help finding jobs. So they trained them to make scarves. And after selling over 4,000 of them in two months, they knew they were onto something. And now Abel has grown from hand-woven scarves to a whole lifestyle brand with leather bags and clothes, shoes, jewelry, and more. I have so much of their stuff that I wear on constant rotation. I cannot say enough good things about Able. Truly, come check them out for the cause and their incredible business practices and stay for the fashion. You can get 20% off site-wide with my code 20GIN at livefashionable.com. So that's 20GIN at livefashionable.com. We all love getting fun mail, right? The boxes we've been waiting for and the ones we've forgotten all about that surprise us every time. But what I'm guessing we don't love is shipping boxes or returning things or going to the post office at all. I've been using stamps.com for the last few years, ever since my team introduced me to the genius that this is. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS literally right to your computer. We started using Stamps.com to ship out all our Jen Hatmaker Book Club boxes a long time ago, and we never looked back. 
And now I use stamps.com for every single solitary thing. You can mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. Letters, packages, any class of mail, you name it. When your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. Not only is it convenient, you pay less. With stamps.com, you get discounts of up to 40% off post office rates and up to 66% off UPS shipping rates. It's a no-brainer, you guys. Especially all of you who have your side hustle Etsy shops or your small businesses, or if you're just navigating the work-from-home life and need to mail a bunch of stuff all the time. So stop wasting your precious time by going to the post office and go to stamps.com instead. With my promo code for the love, you get a special offer that includes a four week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. There are no long term commitments or contracts. There's just no risk here. So just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in for the love. That's stamps.com, promo code for the love. Never go to the post office again. How good does that sound? There's so much there to think about. Can you parse out a little bit for everybody listening, for me too, because this is a real through line in your work. It's really important to understand. And I want to make sure that I hear you speak to it. What you really mean when you are saying the word conscious or unconscious, what does that actually like pragmatically mean? Because as I'm reading through your work, what zings me, it just zings me right to the middle of my heart. I feel so exposed and called out in a loving way is when you use the words, you've just been asleep. I mean, I, I can now look with a clearer eyes on the last bit and say, I, I was more than asleep. I was practically in a coma, which feels clearer to me now in a way that I couldn't see at the time. Can you just sort of walk us through that big idea because it matters to the work. Yes. And when you said the word coma, I had like shivers because I use words like that too and zombie or asleep and people don't like hearing that, but you only know you were asleep when you then become awake and you're like, where the hell was I for 25 years? And it's not that we were fake. What it was is that our lenses were fogged up. I call it being in a fog with all our attachments to our belief systems about how we needed to be so good. so strong. We were just trying to be good. But that attachment didn't allow us to awaken to the truth of the reality in the isness of the now. We was more attached to our image of being good than reality. And so we, we bypassed signals. We ignored red flags. Because we were married to a fantasy of the good girl. I realized I wasn't even married to the other person. I was married to my fantasy of the good girl. And I just wanted to fulfill that. And let me tell you, every person till they awaken is married to their own fantasy. They're not married to the person before them. We don't even see the person before us because we're so caught up in meeting our own fantasies of who we need to be because we're empty from inside. We're hungry for love and worth. So as children, I learned at least, be a good girl, you'll get love and worth. So that's what I was chasing. Just how can I get love and worth by being a good girl? I really wasn't even in my marriage, body and soul, you know? That's what it means to be a zombie, like your out-of-body experience. And then when you wake up with this zing or this bolt of epiphany, 
you say, where the hell was I? So let me explain what conscious means. Consciousness is about understanding your co-creation moment by moment, being in the here and now. Now that is so difficult to do because our mind abducts us with this fog and takes us into our fantasies. Most of us are living in a movie of the as if, not in the conscious reality of the as is. You know, how many women, Jen, I have to say, you know, what color is the couch you're sitting on? And she'll say blue. And I'll say to her, you just keep wanting it to be red as a symbol of how we keep wanting our fantasy to come true. And in that we bypass life as it is. So being conscious is to be awakened to what am I bringing to this moment right now? How am I so effed up that this moment is effed up? Instead of blaming the moment, instead of resisting the moment, think what am I doing right now in my belief systems that are causing my behaviors to mess up this moment? So every moment with your child that you're triggered is a moment for you to awaken to your co-creation. Every time your partner betrays you, leaves you, cheats on you, is for you to wake up and say, okay, how is my emotional experience repeating a pattern right now. And until we wake up to that, we will keep being asleep and we'll go to person number one who was blonde and then person number two who was shorter and uh, brunette and we'll be back in the same pattern. Right, because wherever we go, there we still are without intention. I wonder if you could, because I think that word that you're using is really powerful it's really special. And it's, it's a word that I don't hear a lot. And I wish was a little bit more centered in our conversation around this. When you talk about being a co-creator, I would love to hear more on that because that feels to me very powerful. That feels like an empowering word to say that at any moment, I'm actually not a victim, even though I feel like a victim. I'm not at the end of somebody else's rope, even though I've told myself that I am. Can you talk about being co-creators in our life and why that's a, a word that we're not comfortable with or that we're not even familiar with? Yes, yes, yes. So as women, we have been trained to be passive, servile, and in the receiving position. We've been trained to do that. So things get done to us. And so there is honestly a victim position, but we don't realize we have been putting ourselves there because we don't give back boundaries. We don't claim our space. We don't assert our position. So we're just so conditioned to receive. Then when we get a whole dump of crap, we of course, we're, then we're the victim of crap, but we don't see how our victim consciousness perpetuated that position. I also felt like a garbage dump, but I it took me a long time to realize I was becoming the garbage dump. I was saying, come, come, dump, 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 everybody dump. You know, my daughter at around 12 years old once told me, you know, mom, you're like a really plush carpet that people love to walk on. Oh, gosh. They just she said say you're it. so lovely. Plush. She said plush. you're so delicious. Like she was saying you were, it's like you're made to be walked on. And that just woke me up because I realized I make it so lovely to be dumped on. Because again, that's my idea of being a good girl. So I can't blame the dumpy or the, I mean, the dumper to make me the dumpy. The dumper is like, thank you. The dumper wants to dump. So if you make it comfortable for them, stop being the dumpy. 
you know, and that is, was a big part of my awakening where I saw, okay, okay, I got to stop blaming the world and stop whining that, oh, I'm so good and I'm so virtuous because I'm setting up dynamics of such passivity that just attract great dumping and active toxic abuse from not just one person, I was getting it from a lot of people. And I was always the poor me, the, the little martyr. And so owning our co-creation, every woman needs to see how she set up the dynamics in her life because of her co-creation, because of her conditioning, because of her belief systems. And until we see that, we're just gonna whine away, complain away, and our girlfriends are going to love us and we're going to have a lot of wine, but then what? But then what? Like, where is the transformation? The transformation only comes when we remove the other player, when we literally make them irrelevant to the equation and say that I'm so powerful that you are not even part of the scene right now. And I take all my power back. That includes taking blame back, all resentment back. There's nothing to forgive. We don't forgive anybody. We, we just own up to our own pattern. You know, this whole grandiose idea of do you forgive the other person that comes from blindness of our role in, in this dynamic. Like every person who says they are with a narcissist has played their part in creating that monster. So we have to own that part in us and that bleeding empath in us has a dark shadow. And it's also narcissistic in its own way. And when you when the empath is forced to look at her narcissism, boom, she's going to wake up. I do that to every empath who comes into my office. I go, now let's examine how your lovely empathy, making breakfast and cleaning up everybody's, you know, stuff off the floor where you're not supposed to do that, but you keep doing that, has led to this toxic dynamic and how it's because you are actually so narcissistic. How is an empath narcissistic? How is the good one narcissistic, you'll say? Well, the good one, again, just wants to be everybody's savior and cripples other people from taking responsibility, from owning up. I still do this in my life. I do you know, I, I just can't help it. I'm an addict to saving people. And now I've, I've asked myself, Shafari, can you please stop and wait till the person asks for help? If they don't ask, can you please not jump in? But I promise I'm an addict to, I just hear, do you, can you help me everywhere? But no one's asking. I'm jumping in. And this is part of my good girl mental that I have to break. Mm. We grew up and so much virtue was attached to that sort of selflessness. That was the word that I heard all the time. Being selfless was such a high virtue. It was such an honor to be called that. And after building a whole life on it, it's harder than it sounds to dismantle. It, it's very deep in there. It is super unconscious for me. That's a default. Yeah, it's instinctive. Yeah, it's instinctive. It's a default. Absolutely. Mine too. Mine too. But that's what waking up is about, is to go, wait, I'm not going to do my pattern. So this is my practical question around this, because I'm thinking that a lot of people are listening to you say this, and they are thinking, I also feel like plush carpet. And that is my experience of the people that I maybe live with or work with, whatever, maybe all. And but what they're saying to themselves is, but I do protest. I do say, I don't like this. You're taking advantage of me. I, this makes me feel used or this makes me feel unimportant. So the, what they're saying to themselves is I, I'm not just taking this lying down. And yet, of course, the pattern persists. The behavior 
Why is it that just saying out loud, I don't like this, I don't like what you're doing, isn't actually a path toward awakening? That that's, that doesn't really disrupt anything. Although it feels like, you know what I mean? It feels like I'm disrupting it because I'm protesting. I love this question because I'm always protesting and nothing changes in my life too, because you know what the, what woke me up to that pattern was, oh my God, I'm just complaining. That's it. It's a complaint. (laughs) That's all I'm doing. So my daughter will say, can you please bring my laptop from the other room when she has two perfectly good legs and is doing literally nothing, right? How dare she ask me? Well, she asked me because I've trained her that I'm always available. So she'll ask. So I'll say, So this is what I'll say. Can you stop treating me like your matron, butler, servant, slave? But then I'll go get it. (laughs) Because I'm hoping the next time she won't ask. So here's the thing. Talking is not where the change occurs. The change occurs in a huge behavioral transformation. So I tell women, you know, since it's so hard for you to say no, act like you have diarrhea and go lock yourself in the bathroom because that's the only way to save you from yourself. Like go on, go to the market, stay at CVS, don't come home. Like just disappear, get lost because you are incurable in your need to serve. So you have to detox from that. So saying it at, to the people who are so trained to be served, for them, it's just us talk, you know, complaining. It's what my daughter says, uh, after five times, you're going to say yes. She even knows, just keep hounding me and I have no resilience. I'm going to break down. She she knew this at six. So we've trained them to tune us out. And we've trained them to not hear our voice because here's the thing, Jen, we don't back our voice with action. We want them to stop doing their behaviors, but we want to keep doing ours. I know. Why can't it work that way? <laughs> Why doesn't that work? <laughs> I've tried for so long. Uh, <laughs> you're right. You're right. It's, it's and, and, far and more decisive. How many times do we keep saying, "Why are you doing this? Why are you acting like this?" You know, we're pleading with them to change, and we don't wake up to get. Oh, they're not going to make the change. I have to make the radical change. I would love to hear you talk about what is on the other side of this. This work is hard, by the way. I don't know what people are thinking as they're listening, but this is, it's not the way our culture has taught us. It's not the normal way we proceed through our kind of awake adult lives. It's not even what's necessarily rewarded in our culture. Right. I mean, the the systems reward the ones who follow the rules. And so this is a real challenge to engage. But can you talk, though, about what you've personally discovered and then also what you've seen because you work with so many people on the other side of this work? What is the point here? What do we get? (laughs) What do we get if we decide this is the journey I want to take? I I want pain into power. I want to be awake in my own life. I want to be my own powerful. I want to have agency over my own powerful life. What does that look like? What's the, what's the payoff here? There's a huge payoff after the dark tunnel of transformation. So you're going to lose people. People are going to shame you, denigrate you, not approve of you, tell you, how could you do that? And you're going to have to suffer that. But what's at the end is your increasing and increasing <laughs> lack of care of what other people's consciousness dictates. You begin to realize, oh, 
that person is talking because they're completely bought into the system. You begin to leave the matrix and see that now you're floating out there and they're all the others deeply conditioned, just like you were in the matrix. So now you don't take the arrows personally, you realize, oh, they've just bought into that and I just haven't. And so you begin to live really very free because our greatest anathema is other people, what other people will say. So the moment you release yourself from what other people will say or think or approve of you, and you allow them to be in their own murky swamp of unconsciousness, you're like, you do you, sweetheart. You can hate me. I see why you hate me because you're still mired in that patriarchy, but I'm not. And you you give yourself authority. No one has jurisdiction over you. You know, right now I can tell you, not even my parents, you know, the ultimate holy grail or no one in any scripture and certainly no mortal, you know, of my age can have jurisdiction over me anymore. Certainly, I mean, maximum, maybe my child, you know, I'll give it to my 18 year old, but that's it. And so that's a liberating place to be where you wake up each day sovereign in your authority and your, your North Star is really coming from deep within you and no longer tethered by the dictates of an unconscious culture. You know, I was a slave to an unconscious culture. And then when you wake up and you realize your master was unconscious, you're like, okay, I'm done. Oh, man, that's really powerful. This is probably an impossible question, might not even have an answer, but if you were going to distill it down to either the best place to begin, this is a monstrous idea to stand on the precipice of and look at, right? Especially when it's unfamiliar and we are most of us kind of sleepwalking through our roles and our place in the world. How would you suggest a person begin? So most of us only start this when we hit rock bottom because something happens to us, right? It has to happen to us. We're so attached and addicted. We, even if we're unhappy, we're not going to let go until something is done to us. So even the terrible job that we hate, we won't leave it till we're fired. The marriage where we knew it was kind of messed up, but we won't leave till they leave us and so on and so forth. And our children, they're going to leave us for sure. So when we're left now, you know, then we have an opportunity to transform. But you're talking about how do we wake up even when we haven't been left? Well, we have to pay attention to the signs. Your body knew that something was amiss for years. You stuffed it down, you suppressed. I knew too, my jaw would clench, my chest would tighten, I would be afraid. But I didn't follow through. I didn't back up those signals with honor. I pretended like my body was lying to me. me I pretended like my inner knowing was a liar. Me too. Because I so preferred the image and being the follower of the fantasy rather than the follower of my inner knowing. I knew. I just didn't back it up because we've not been taught to back ourselves up. We've not been taught to put all our eggs behind or inside our basket. And we don't know what that means to have our own back. So every woman knows she has an inner knowing that is speaking to her. She has just avoided it. She's just eating too much, distracted too much, having more children too much in their lives too much, saving too many people and just shutting her knowing down. So all I can say is until it happens to you in a rock bottom moment, maybe you want to wake up before that and pay attention and try your best to wake up. And, you know, first we try to change the other. 
that doesn't work. Then we try to change the self and sometimes that doesn't work. So then sometimes we have to come to the choice of, okay, what else do I need to do to really change this system? And I tell couples, take a break, take a six month break. Maybe that would have helped the whole dynamic, but we're so afraid of anything looking like an unenmeshed <laughs> codependency that we, we freak out. But we know, you know, if we pay attention to the signs, that one thing is to pay attention, the second thing is to back up the signs with action. When we think about improving our health and upping our wellness game, we tend to think about all the no's we're going to have to say and implement in our lives. We focus on the limitations and constrictions, and no's can be hard. So what are all of us yes-loving girls to do when it's time to prioritize ourselves and our wellness without feeling like we're always missing out? That is where Noom comes in. Noom uses a psychology-based approach to help us change our mindset, to help us choose our best yeses and nos to make a positive impact in our lives. Because at the end of the day, building better habits means a more sustainable journey to better health. In every category of my own life, when I use Noom to help make the right yeses and nos, it makes a huge difference. I feel better, I have more energy, and I show up better for my family and friends and for you. And that's another great thing about Noom. They are so supportive in this process. Noom customizes a program for you based on your personal goals. It fits into your life on your terms. No grueling early mornings or huge chunks out of your day. And get this, 80% of Noom users finish the program and over 60% have stuck with their goals for at least a year. So start building better habits for healthier, long-term results. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash for the love. Okay, so that's n-o-o-m.com slash for the love. Oh, wow. Golly, thank you for all that. Thank you for that incredible wisdom. Thank you for living it first and then encapsulating it for the rest of us. I'm going to wrap this up real quick with you. These are just off the top of your head, like quick questions um, that I've asked the guests in the transition series. Here's the first one. Can you tell us quickly about a transition in your life, either one that you chose or maybe one that chose you, because it can go either way, that really changed you and what you learned? Yeah, I think my first transition when I chose to leave India at the age of 21 and start meditating was the beginning of my entire journey. And I learned first, you have to leave something in order to allow other things to enter. Because I left my country, you know, it was the early 90s. So, and it was terrifying, but that first departure allowed me to let go of many puppet strings and cut many tethers. And then I embraced so much more. So I think the lesson from that and every lesson in my life is you got to let go. You got to let go. Attachment is the curse. So you have to always ask, why am I afraid to let go of this idea, this belief system, this person, this relationship? And we're only afraid because we believe without that, we will be annihilated, but it's not true. We'll go to another level of who we are. You're right. Okay. Last question. I actually ask everybody this. It 
and you can answer this however you want. It can be a silly answer or a real answer or a tender answer. It's up to you. What is saving your life right now? I think what has always saved me is my meditation, coming back to the moment. There is no future. This is all we got. And you're here now and shut up and just start being present and stop, stop that mind and just be here now. I mean, I'm always returning to the present moment. Oh, it's so good. I love your answer. And I, I honor that. I honor that work. And that really isn't a portal into living consciously and presently and in the moment. It's a, it's a really powerful tool. I want to say to you, congratulations on your incredible work. I love that you are moving into this space. I hope people find you and that you are able to walk them, grab them by the hand and show them this path. And thank you for all I've learned from you. I I love to listen to you and I love to follow you. And your work means a lot to me right at this exact moment in my life too. And so I'm just completely on your side. You don't need my approval because you're free and conscious, but you have it. <laughs> oh, Jen, I'm so moved by you and your journey and all you do for all of us women. So thank you for honoring my work and having me here. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, that was in my business. That was deeply in my business. And I am just going to go back and listen to this one. I do not listen to all my podcasts a second time around, but this one will be one of them. If you go to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, you'll find this episode. We'll have all the show notes if you want a quick hand. And then I'll have links to everything, all of Dr. Shafali's work, this book, her site, her socials. You can find everything you want there. If you want to just do like I do sometimes when I'm listening to a new teacher who's getting a cut a little too close to the bone for me. And I just like peek over the fence at their work, like without telling anybody I'm listening because <laughs> I don't have any accountability yet. I'm like, nobody knows that I'm listening to this yet. So I don't have to answer for it. So I'll have all that over for you at jenhatmaker.com. I love the transition series. It is packed with goodness like this for those of us who are moving from one thing to another in powerful ways, in purposeful ways, in ways that are going to bring meaning to our life and authority into our own way of being. I love it. Love it. Okay. Thanks for being here today and definitely come back next week. Okay. See you then.